This podcast is brought to you by Nerd Wallet. Are you paying for your me time with just any credit card in your wallet? While you shouldn't stop treating yourself, you should start paying with a credit card that has perks. Nerd Wallet lets you compare top travel credit cards side by side to maximize your spending. Some even offering 10 times points on your spending. So what could future you do with better rewards? A free flight? Room upgrades? Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. Reminder, credit is subject to lender approval and term supply. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union. A savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. Hey, Brian. Hi, Katie. So while we're on our summer break, we've been revisiting some of our favorite episodes of this show, but it'd be nice to mix it up a little bit this week. And I know just the way to do that, Brian. How about giving Alan Alda a call? Alan Alda is in the actor from MASH and 30 Rock and The West Wing and about a million other shows I love. Yes, but we were supposed to call him 10 minutes ago. Oops. <laughs> Oy vey. Hello. Hi, Alan Alda. In the category of better late than never, it's Katie Couric. How are you? Hello, Katie. I'm great. How are you doing? So nice to hear your voice. And I'm here with my colleague, Brian Goldsmith, who's also my podcast co-host, who is a gigantic fan of yours. Brian, meet Alan. Hello, Brian. I don't know whether to call you Alan or Senator Arnie Vinnick. But that goes back to my West Wing days. Yeah, I think Alan is probably good now. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not dressed up like a senator. Right now. Yeah. What are you wearing? You know, that's I reserve that for text communications <laughs> or sext communications, as yeah, right. it were. But, wow, this thing took a turn. Yeah, very it's certainly devolving. But Alan, our podcast is going to be taking a summer break. But we still want to give our audience something wonderful to listen to. And we've heard so much about your podcast. And we thought, why not steal an episode of Alan's show? What do you think? I think that's so great of you. I love it. I love I'd love the chance to introduce our podcast to your audience. Are you enjoying this whole new medium? I can't tell you. I'm enjoying it more than I thought I would. And I mean, I thought I'd enjoy it, but this is just wonderful. I, I, we ha- I, I, I enjoy the conversations I have. We have wonderful conversationalists on, and we talk about this subject that I'm obsessed with, which is relating to other people and communicating the hard things to them. And you've been obsessed with that for quite a while. I know that sort of 
the art of conversation and communication is something you've been focused on for, for a few years now, right? Really, at least 25 years, because I started working on that when I was interviewing scientists on the, the science program on PBS, which I did for 11 or 12 years. And then I started. I helped start a center for communicating science at Stony Brook University. So we've been training scientists to communicate better and medical professionals all over the world, thousands of them. And now it's just pure fun talking to people uh, like Sarah Silverman and Itzhak Perlman and Judge Judy and people that you don't even know so well. Like I don't know if you heard this. Kate Bowler is a writer who has uh, a, a fatal illness, and she wrote a really funny book, and we have a really wonderful conversation about the terrible ways people have tried to cheer her up. I bet that's sort of funny and sad at the same time. but Yeah, it's very emotional. Clearly, you're trying to be instructive through your art of conversation. You're trying to broach how to have a conversation, which is a really interesting concept. It, you know, it's, that's right, because I, it's not didactic. It's not a lecture. It's, it's pure conversation, and it, and it takes place on both sides of the microphone. I mean, I'm, I'm conversing with them. I'm not interviewing them. I'm not asking them a list of questions. And things come up that neither one of us expected. So it's, it's, it's alive, and that's why I'm having such a, a wonderful time. And they, I get surprises. You know, I talked to Renee Fleming. Who, who's doing this wonderful thing about exploring with uh, with scientists the healing power of music. And this you'll love. I didn't expect this to come out of her. Sometimes when she's recognized, when she's out in public, people come up to her and say, I love you, Katie Couric. I know. Isn't that funny? <laughs> I was actually near Lincoln Center, and someone came up to me and said, Renee Fleming, I love you so much. <laughs> and I said, gosh, I can't sing a note, but thank you. <laughs> oh, you should just say thank you anyway. <laughs> and then and, the person and, thought, my God, Renee Fleming can't sing? I know. <laughs> Alan. Um... <laughs> That's what I'm afraid of. People come up to me and tell me that they love my work, and then they call me Alan Arkin. Oh. And I, sometimes I even get his mail. Wow. <laughs> Alan, I saw a New York Post headline that called you the world's oldest millennial. What I thought that turn- was my job, first of all. <laughs> <laughs> Second oldest. Well, I, I just have, I've, for, since computers came out, I've, I've always loved them. And, and I tried to teach myself uh, to, uh, to program a, a, a computer that was so early that my watch now has more computing power than that first computer. But I love to fool around with it. As a matter of fact, you know what I do? I fix my friend's computers. Wow. So I have I have an imaginary company called Celebrity Tech Support. <laughs> and and the, the slogan is, why let a nobody touch your stuff? <laughs> I like it. I like it. But real quickly... Um, I, I know that, that one of the reasons I think they t- called you that is also because you're into this sort of new medium of podcasts. I guess so. Compared to the other work you've done, which has been extraordinary, Alan, what what is it about podcasting that you're really enjoying? Is it being able to kind of have an, a conversation that doesn't have a time limit? That's a wonderful part of it. Uh there's something about it that's homegrown, even when it's done professionally. 
and that's interesting because I used to notice when I'd be when I'd be uh, interviewed on a very big television show like like the Tonight Show, there was a lot of attention to what was going to be said. It wasn't very spontaneous. You, he's going to ask you this. You answer that, right? And like that. Surprisingly was a, scripted. Yeah, highly scripted. You know, they they do a pre-interview. They find out what you have to say that might be entertaining, and then they make sure you say it. Whereas when I was on when I was on shows that were less popular, and therefore less stressful to the produ- producers, it was much more improvisational and much more fun, and more unexpected things came out. And I think podcasts are a little like that. Well, I know you had a conversation on your podcast with Tina Fey, a fellow UVA grad like me. Um, and I, I think she's so fantastic. So we thought we would run your conversation with Tina Fey in place of one of our podcasts while we take a break. What do you think? Oh, that's wonderful. I, you know, she, I, I, the reason that the, the conversation with Tina is so appropriate to my series is that I learned so much about relating to other people from studying and doing improvisation. And that's how Tina started, too. So we both talk about improv, but we even do some in a, in a way that nobody's ever heard it before. It's, I won't give it away, but it's kind of funny. But what, how, what about you with the podcast? What, what's, what's, what did, what, why do you think it's such a good medium. What what do you enjoy about it? I think people are hungry for more depth in this very sort of superficial society and media landscape that we've created where the news is so, you know, 24-7 and in little snippets. I think the chance to really kind of settle in, listen, and, you know, feel close to a conversation and learn something is extraordinarily appealing for a lot of people, including my 22-year-old daughter. So I think there's a hunger for, I think there's a hunger for more out there, Alan. Yeah, I hear, I hear that same, same response from, from a wide range of ages and experience. Well, people who are in their 20s listen to us and people in their 80s, and, and they're all interested in, in just what you're talking about, that conversational approach where things build on one another. Plus, I think people must love hearing your voice because it's so recognizable. And I think, you know, I think it probably, you're the science person, but fires up neurons of familiarity that actually produce endorphins. I'm just kind of making this up, but it's doing it for me right <laughs> now. It's doing that for me right now. <laughs> <laughs> you have a new field as a neuroscientist. I love that. Yeah, I know. Well, listen, I've got to run. You've got to run. But we, we're so grateful for you uh, allowing us to basically bogart one of your episodes and claim I'm it so as glad. our own. And if you ever Thank take you. a break and you want to throw one of our episodes in just to mix things up a little bit, feel free. You're welcome. I would love to. It would be great. I'd love to have you on our series in any way possible. Well, I'd love to come and talk to you personally, because as you know, I'm a huge fan and a huge longtime admirer of yours. And uh, And me of yours. Anyway, all the best, Alan. Hope I'll see you around town. And uh, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank, Thank you too, Brian. The Senator, thank you very much for coming on. Really <laughs> oh, appreciate it. Oh, my God. It's always about politics with this one. <laughs> I'm wearing my bathing suit. I'm not wearing a senator outfit. Okay. Oh, that's good to know. Good. Well, go back into the pool. Okay. okay. I'll talk to you later. 
Bye. Bye. Brian, isn't Alan Alda the nicest person on the planet? He seems like it. I mean, maybe he's an axe murderer in his <laughs> private life, but he seems really, really nice. <laughs> I think he's nice all the time. Anyway, listeners, we'll be back next week with one more summer break podcast from the vaults. But for now, without further ado, here's Alan's conversation with the one and only Tina Fey. Enjoy, everyone. I'm Alan Alda. And this is Clear and Vivid, conversations about connecting and communicating. This conversation is with actor, writer, and producer, and amazingly talented person, Tina Fey. You know Tina, of course, from her work on Saturday Night Live, her best-selling book, her movies, and also for creating and starring in 30 Rock. My conversation with Tina took place in front of a live audience at the 2017 World Science Festival. Good evening. Hi, everybody. Hi, Alan. How are you? It's nice to be here on such a great day for science. (laughs) (laughs) Tina was supposed to be interviewing me about my new book, But like many interviews, many, many good interviews, it turned out to be just a conversation between the two of us. I think one of the key attributes of good communication is people paying attention to each other. But I mean really paying attention, really listening, not just having dueling monologues. I'm kind of fascinated by the idea that a fundamental tool used by actors, a kind of deep listening, can be used by anyone. The way I learned it was by studying improvisation. And although anyone can apply these principles, it's always fun to run into someone who learned it the way I did. It turns out that Tina Fey and I both began our careers in the field of improvisation, and in fact with the same company, the Second City. Tina worked in the Chicago company of Second City, and I worked in the New York company. And we were both trained in improvisation by the great Viola Spolin. But Viola's improv training was not to teach us how to be funny. Instead, it was all about relating and connecting, which, of course, is the subject of these podcasts. At one point in our conversation, I told Tina what a profound effect Viola Spolin's improv training had had on me, and not just as an actor, but in my whole life. And I wondered if she'd felt the same way. I did. I felt uh, that it was completely transformative. The, uh, the, uh, one of the core ideas uh, in improvisation is, is to agree, to say yes and, right? To agree is the yes, and then the and is to contribute something of your own. And it's something that once you get in the habit of doing it as an improviser, I don't know if you find the same thing, that I, it's just the way you think about things. And if I meet someone in a, in a work situation or someone who, who's starting from a place of no... Mm-hmm. Like, well, I don't think we're going to be able to do that. Or yeah. I was just like, oh, why would you, why would you start there? Yeah. <laughs> so I feel like it really sticks yeah. to these. You feel the same? Oh, very much so. Except once in a while, I think about this, and I'm, I, yes, and comes to mind often when I'm talking to somebody. But if I'm talking to somebody who's saying to me, you know, I was wearing my tinfoil hat this morning, <laughs> yeah. and it really helps. I want to be able to say yes, and then I want to say, and you're completely crazy. Yes, and, yeah, he's like, yes, and goodbye. <laughs> yes, and oh, here comes doing? my bus. Uh, yeah, here comes my bus, and we're not even on the street corner. 
So wh what, uh, wh how do you handle that? How do you, how do you, what do you say yes to? I'm trying to think of examples. You know, of course, in our work, mostly it's sort of a, a production question where they'll say like, oh, well, we couldn't possibly, yeah. no, we like your idea, but we couldn't possibly get that done in time and this and that. And you sort of pause and say, well, what if we, let's just take a minute and what if we did the, you know, it, 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 you just open your mind up to being able to get things done. Um, yeah. Uh, I, guess, I guess it's possible to agree with some underlying premise, too. Right. Like, yes, I, that's right. We've got to worry about time. That's, that's so important. Yes. How about if we do this? That should save some time. That, right. Yeah. Right. Trying to, to, and, to be the and, to yeah. add to the... Because it's so many of us, and I hear myself say it, I, I, I go, I get the yes part, and then I say, but. <laughs> yes, but. <laughs> and that's a good <laughs> substitute for no. <laughs> Tina asked me about the work we do with the Alda Center for Communicating Science because improv is a key part of how we train scientists to talk to the rest of us clearly and vividly. By now, the team at the Alda Center has trained over 12,000 scientists. Have any of the scientists left their careers to pursue improv full-time? You know, in our, in, our first, in our first group, yes, we had somebody. Oh, no. <laughs> it's but he doesn't do it full time. And I know a scientist in Israel who is a great uh, co a computer biologist. What do you call it? Com computational biologist who improvises. Uh, what? what is, a computational uh, what is, biologist. What is that? You stick your hand in the computer, it tells you what's wrong. <laughs> Something like that. I don't know. I didn't want to show off, but I did sort of know that a computational biologist uses computer algorithms to find patterns in biological systems. But I wanted to get back to how my friend, the Israeli scientist, uses improv to help his team communicate. So he improvises with an improvising troupe every week. Yeah. And he uses improvising techniques to keep his team in the, in the lab doing good teamwork and and helping them motivate themselves. It's, it, he uses improv the same way we teach uh, uh, scientists to do it in our, in our courses. Yeah, I, you know, I, 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 I believe improv can really work miracles. It can connect people who cannot connect in any other way. It, uh, it, it keeps you tethered. It keeps you present in a, at a time when it's it very increasingly difficult for us all to be present with each other. Um, so I think, you, my God, you're so smart to have... To have figured out that to well, take it, it down it, this road. it came out of me. You know, it's it's the process of improvisation. What comes to the surface is going to be good, no matter what it is. Mm -hmm. And if it turns out to really land on people, then you realize you're doing something valuable, and you do more of it. Yeah, that's all it is. It's yeah. just following my nose. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I had I have a daughter who, when she was eight, she, she used to say. I, I would say, yeah, I'm, I'm cold. My nose is so cold. Just sure your nose is cold. The circulation can't get out that far. <laughs> Don't you love it when kids are smart and yeah. funny like that? Yeah. <laughs> it's not so long. You're, you, you, you have an 11-year-old? I have an 11-year-old and a 5-year-old, too, daughter. And the 11-year-old is doing something Oh, big? my, yes. I, I tried to, actually, I was applying a, a technique from Alan's book last night on my 11-year-old because she has a, a, a very very large and serious presentation tomorrow about Finland. Uh, <laughs> and I told her, I was like, you would think she was trying to pass the bar tomorrow. <laughs> and so she has to give an eight-minute presentation 
And so uh, she, she didn't want to do it for us again. So anyway, so we, uh, we used a technique in the book and we asked her to give us the presentation in gibberish, but for us to try to still understand it. You know what gibberish is, right? It sounds like a real language, but it's total nonsense. Just like, but it's like gibberish. Yeah, it's like gibberish. I guess most people know what gibberish is, but I wanted to make sure the audience understood how we use it in improv. Gibberish helps you use your whole body. Mm-hmm. It, get, it gets you out of the, the thing where you, you communicate, you feel... So many of us think that communication is getting the message right and saying the exact right words, and somehow that communicates what we want to communicate. In fact, it's everything. It's the tone of voice. It's the look on our face. It's the body language we use. Mm-hmm. All of that is really contributing an enormous amount to, to what we're communicating, and it can help the people uh, get it better. So what, you want to do a little, uh, like well, we could do a little scene. Yes. And, and do it in gibberish yeah. and make it a game, because usually these are all in the form of games. And you all could try to figure out what the situation is. Well, yes. who, who are these two people and what, what's happening between them? You may never get it. Depends on how okay. lucky we are. This is what we said that we were going to do, right? Yeah, yeah. This is, we have like a relationship and a situation which we have not rehearsed. What did you get in George Nick for? The audience is having a little trouble figuring out what our relationship is because we're basically just standing there talking at each other. Our tone of voice isn't yet communicating what's under the gibberish, and neither is our body language. I seem to be imploring her to do something, but it's not clear what. Finally, Tina follows a basic rule in improv. When you're stuck, go to the place. Use the place. What Viola Spolin calls the where. So Tina crosses the stage and does something with what seems to be some sort of equipment. But I can't tell what it is because her back is to me. I'm watching her carefully, and I see her arms moving. I'm trying to get as much information by observing as I can. She comes back, and she holds out her arms as if to dance with me. Ah, I think. She's been turning on a record player over there, and now we're dancing. <laughs> we were for, now we were pretty Russian. Our our gibberish was pretty. You got, you got pretty right Russian. Into the Russian too. Isn't it? Never know what you never so know where. Who it's has any trip. idea what was going on there? Does anyone have any idea who those two people were to each other? What their relationship might have been. <laughs> What was it? An old man with dementia. I think that was me. <laughs> no, not an old man with dementia. <laughs> but just keep guessing. Neighbors? Neighbors? Want to go on a date? Yeah. 
Yeah. Teacher, yes. Who yes. said that? It was the teacher, right? Yes, the yes, student yes, wants to go it. on a date the with the teacher. The student was Very asking good. the teacher to go to prom. Good. See, yeah. But you, what's, what's fun about this, regardless of how many people we conveyed it to, What's fun is it was a very hard thing to do, so we had to find ways to physicalize it, mm. to communicate it, not only to, to you watching, but to each other, so we could move through this encounter that we didn't know where it came from or where it would go. Mm-hmm. That was a pretty hard one. I never did one that hard. That was like, it was a very specific uh, yeah. relationship. Sometimes when we're trying to communicate something difficult, we seem to be speaking gibberish without even knowing it. That's when we're using some incomprehensible jargon. We started to talk about that and then drifted away. But Tina brought us back. Let's talk some more about jargon. Yeah. And yeah. how it, do you believe it to be a, a curse in some ways? Every day you run across some kind of jargon. Mm-hmm. And it makes sense because if it takes five pages to say something you can say in one word, yes. then it makes sense to use yeah. that word as long as you're talking to somebody who knows what the word means. Yeah, like kofefe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank goodness there's a small group of people small who know people. what that means. Very small. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, wow, you're going to the mat on that one. Okay. Do you, how do you do when you hear scientific jargon? I do terribly. I am, I would, I am, do not think of myself as a science person. I try not to even say that out loud around my daughters because they like science and I want them to continue. I take a science, I took a science class with both of my daughters. It's like at the, across the street at the natural history. And I'm, <laughs> I'm always wrong. I'm always answering in my head and I'm like, arthropod. No, no. <laughs> uh, I, I'm terrible with jargon. Like I, I'm the kind of person I can't memorize the names of flowers. It's oh, I'm bad at that too. Gone. My wife Arlene is so good at that, so I make up names. <laughs> flowers. Yeah, wow, look at that great hydrofloxy. <laughs> she knows I don't know anything, and she just laughs at me. When we come back after the break, Tina and I have a little surprise for the audience. It's a special guest I invite up from the front row. Brian Greene, the well-known physicist and best-selling author. We're going to put him to a test. We're going to see if he can explain some pretty tough physics to Tina without ever lapsing into jargon. And the catch is, Tina's going to have to actually know what he's talking about. This was fun. Stay tuned. Hey everyone, it's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for less. And for a limited time, new customers receive their second month free when they sign up and use promo code MONTHFREE by May 31st. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Taxes, fees, and other third-party charges will apply. See website for additional details. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of. 
a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global. Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union. A savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. You're listening to Clear and Vivid, and now back to my conversation with Tina Fey. I bet you, if we worked on it, Pardon? if we worked on this, yeah. you, we could get somebody to help you understand something really complicated. You could try. I would be a really, I'm a tough customer on it because I'm... Well, be as tough as you can. I mean, I'm going to just pick somebody who looks like a scientist. In <laughs> You look at you. Are you a scientist? Would you help us? Yeah. Now, we've never met before. Never. <laughs> this is the great Brian Greene, as you all know. Hello, Brian. So have a seat. Hello. So uh, do you want to you want to get a topic maybe from the audience, Brian, that anybody what, what are we going to do with the topic? Discuss you're going it? to explain something complicated to Tina and uh, Tina has a buzzer here and anything she doesn't understand. She'll just she'll buzz you if she's not following. Remember, we said the whole point is to help the other person follow you. So if she's not following you, she'll let you know. You won't even have to read it on her face. Should I test this? Okay. It was wow! A, it was a long Fantastic. One. Uh, yeah, we can throw out some some topics. Yeah, but a string theory. I heard string theory. Let's do that. I never never explained that before. That's a, what was that's it? a good one. String theory. String theory. String theory. Okay. Yes. <laughs> You're so screwed. <laughs> so dumb. All right. Go. So string theory. It's um, our attempt to unify the general theory of relativity and quantum mechanics in a way. Uh, I don't know anything. So, so let's start with general relativity. Great. That's a theory of the force of gravity. Mm -hmm. I'm good. We good on gravity. We're good. <laughs> Quantum mechanics is a theory of <laughs> matter. Okay. Very small scales. How the particles okay. interact, behave, okay. evolve by the Schrodinger equation. <laughs> yeah. We don't need the Schrodinger equation. So, so our goal is to be able to have a single theory that can put together the laws of gravity, mm -hmm. 
and the laws of quantum physics. So we have one unified mathematical description of everything in the physical universe. Oh, that was pretty good. Oh, you got it? <laughs> you yeah, got it? You think you got it? I, 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 you want to yeah. throw it back? What? Yeah, tell us. Yeah. So, oh, string theory is, is you're, you're, uh, you're attempting to unify, that's your word, uh, the theory of relativity and quantum physics that we said, so that you can, use, you can you have one sort of language to describe all of it. Whoa. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. All right. Do you want to do another one? Pretty good. Do, do, a, hard, do a harder one? <laughs> harder than that? Harder than that? You want something harder than that? <laughs> Computational biology. Yeah, I'll let you do that one, Alan. Yeah, I already covered that. These are like really easy ones. Should we try that one again? All right, let's go with it. Okay. So um, the universe mm-hmm. is usually thought to be all that there is. Okay. But there's a possibility that what we long thought was all there is might actually be a small part of a much grander landscape of reality populated by other realms that would be rightly called universes of their own mm-hmm. and the grand collection we would call the multiverse. Oh, that's fine. You like that one? <laughs> that's <All right>. fine. <laughs> yeah, I told you it's going to be an easy one. We need a harder one. Dark energy. You want to do dark energy? Dark energy. Mm. All right. So... For a long time, we thought we knew what the universe was made of. Mm -hmm. Things like particles, electrons, Mm -hmm. quarks, neutrinos. I've heard of neutrinos. (laughs) You heard of these things. So these are little tiny particles of matter Mm -hmm. that we believe may not be made up of anything more fine. They may be the fundamental ingredients out of which everything is made. Little tiny things. And we thought that that was what the universe was made of. But we've now learned that there is this energy suffusing space, which when you put into Einstein's, (laughs) we believe that there is this substance that is everywhere in the universe, every nook and cranny of the universe. And when this energy is in Einstein's general theory of relativity, (laughs) when this energy is put into our equations of how gravity works, We find that this energy gives rise to a repulsive version of gravity mm-hmm. that makes up the bulk of the universe that's giving rise to a negative pressure that it's yields a negative gravity that pushes everything apart, making the expansion of space found by Edwin, Edwin Hubble in 1929, okay. making the expansion of space speed up, driving everything in the universe apart at an ever-quickening pace. Okay. Throw the one back. Whoa, bravo. Well, no, I can't do that one back. <laughs> okay, so. You sort of like Chinese yeah. food. You got it for a moment. Then I got it. Let me say that, and I think you'll agree with this, that you haven't taught Tina everything there is to know about That's anything. it. <laughs> no, we're no, done. Well, you're a really good yeah, communicator. We're done. You no, for, for her to be able to do work in this, to understand it at a deeper level, she would have to learn the mathematics. She'd have to really work hard at it. But you may have told her enough for Tina to be interested to know more. And when we make things clear to the public, that's what I hope for first, that they want to know more. I don't know. You might have to. Yeah, no, it's absolutely right. I mean, Uh, you know, know, jargon gets a very bad rap. It's vital for us scientists to have a shorthand. And that's why we use it. We don't do it to have funny sounding words. 
We can communicate everything that we just spoke about here in one-tenth the time with ten times the accuracy if we make use of the actual jargon and ideas. But of course, when you're talking to the general public who's not going to go to graduate school, you want to, like you say, excite them about these ideas. So hopefully you can do it in a way that gets the essence across. Thank you so much for helping. Thank you. Ryan Green. Toward the end of our conversation, Tina and I realized we shared a trait that you might not expect performers to have. We realized we were both shy. I was a shy kid, but here I could, on stage, I could be in command. That makes sense. A lot of people, a lot of people in comedy I know are very shy. Are you shy? Very shy. I am, yeah. Yeah, me too. I have, yeah. I have a lot of social anxiety. Someone from the audience had a question for us. What can you do about that? How can you turn making a toast at a wedding or making a presentation at work or, or any kind of public speaking into a pleasure instead of an invitation to an anxiety attack? One aha moment that I can think, first thing I thought of as a happened during improvisation was on stage years ago at the Second City. I was in an improv set, which we would take suggestions from the audience and improvise for 30 minutes, different things. And I was in a scene with my friend Rachel Dratch and my friend Scott Adsit, and it was going so badly. It was, we were just bombing so hard. And I remember looking deeply into Rachel's eyes and she, she would clutch me, what we called her mouse paw, her tiny little hand was clutching <laughs> me. And we were continuing the scene, but there was a whole other level of communication of like, dear God, we are bombing. And the realization for me was that it, my greatest fear was being realized. We were sweating, bombing, it was going terribly. And the realization was that after it was over, we were still alive. Yeah. And we would live to fight again another day. And so for me, it's the thing of taking the, my, what is my greatest fear? What, what am I so nervous will happen that everyone will boo or no one will pay attention to it? Like that even if that happens, you are fine. You will be fine. So if that helps you at all with your public speaking. So do you find that that helps you in life too? Yeah, I think, you know, I think one of the biggest things you get out of improvisation work is uh, you abandon a fear of embarrassment. Yeah. And, you know, my friend Amy Poehler talks a lot about, she talks a lot about um, uh, improv help, it, having the courage to kind of break the social protocol, which is something that none of us have. You have to be not afraid of embarrassment to say, like, nope, I'm breaking the social yeah. uh, rules here and saying whatever. And so I think improvisation helps you with that stuff. Yeah, I find too, it seems uh, allied with that, that you get more used to the idea that something from your unconscious is going to come up and it's going to be okay no matter what it is. Mm -hmm. Whereas yeah. without that freedom that you get from knowing it's going to be okay, even, yeah. if it's, even if it's something bad that happens ever, you say something terrible, it's going to be okay because in the long run, what difference does it make? It doesn't, ma doesn't matter. Yeah. You're still going to be there. Yep. You're just going to be there. Yeah. <laughs> that seems like that's a good one to go out on. I think we should be done, right? I'm very happy to end on holding up the book. That's <laughs> Now available. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, thank you. I had such a good time. That was so fun. But we're not finished yet. We still wanted Tina to give us seven quick answers to our seven quick questions, and she was kind enough to drop in on our studio. 
Tina, thank you for coming back. It's we, my pleasure. Oh, it's great because since you and I talked, we came up with seven questions that I ask everybody. Cool. Number one, what do you wish you really understood? The first thing that came to my mind was music.、Oh. I wish I could read and read music and play an instrument and sing. That's how I feel. Yeah. You're the first person to say that. What, now, what do you wish people understood about you? It's <laughs> a good question. Because I feel like, in some ways, I'm like, oh, we've talked too much about me as a community. As a so、group. you wish they understood less about you. <laughs> yeah, less. Less. I wish they understood less. <laughs> All right. What What's the strangest question anyone ever asked you? What's the strangest question? Or a really strange question? To be the. Oh, let me think. Uh, I don't know. Can I come back to that one? No. <laughs> <laughs> What's the strangest question? Sounds like you're basically an easygoing person. I am really easygoing. Nothing strikes you as odd.、Uh, yeah, I don't. I can't.、Uh, I'm stumped on that one. Okay. Maybe well, something will come to me, <clears throat> and we'll edit it and seem like I make it seem like I knew in the moment. Yeah. Okay. How do you stop a compulsive talker? Um, I ask. Well, a kind of counterintuitive thing is to ask them questions to try to pivot the topic, right? And it works sometimes, right? Yeah, or、uh, just you know, fake a heart attack. I find nothing works, especially if I'm the compulsive talker. That's that's really hard. Yeah, my dad was a big talker, and my friend Lauren Michaels is a is a pretty big talker.、Um, and sometimes you just have to write it out. Is there anyone for whom you just can't feel empathy? I can almost always dig deep, and at some point in fact, you can go, you can find a little bit, but sometimes it's buried under layers and layers and layers of anger. Yeah,、um, yeah. like a couple. There's a couple famous people that I don't feel a tremendous amount of empathy for, but I'd probably rather not name them. <laughs> right.、Okay. I think I got it. Yeah. How do you like to deliver bad news, in person, on the phone, or by carrier pigeon? <laughs> I think bad news is best delivered in person. And that's what you like. I think that's the right thing to do.、Right. Yeah. So, in other words, but in real,、oh, in real life, you keep a pigeon. In real life, I'm <laughs> a fleet of pigeons and carrier rats. <laughs> okay, last one. What, if anything, would make you end a friendship? Dishonesty. Yeah.、Mm-hmm. That's, well,、uh, I'm, I'm telling you the truth. I really like you. Thank <laughs> you for coming on the show. Thanks, Alan. Thanks for having me. Should I try to think of the answer to the? Oh, other oh okay. Yeah, what was this? The weirdest question? Yeah. Sounds like that was it. Was the weirdest question anyone asked? Yeah, that's fine. Trying to think because certainly you know we've all done kind of press junkets and stuff. Yeah, where, we like, get a lot of strange ones.、Definitely. You know, if somebody asked me, I'm not sure I could remember the weirdest one. I did. Well, this was just sort of a silly one, but we did a when the movie Mean Girls came out.、Uh, it came out the same time as an Olsen twins movie called New York Minute, and I was at a Hollywood Foreign Press. Uh, uh, Thing and they said, 
uh, we watched your movie, and then and we watched the Olsen Twin movie. And with the Olsen Twins movie, everyone was very laughing. But not your movie. Why? <laughs> <laughs> It's great. That's a good one. I think you got it. This has been clear and vivid. At least I hope so. Tina's an inspiration for me. She's talented, creative, and a really nice person, in spite of the fact that her Broadway show is called Mean Girls. Visit MeanGirlsOnBroadway.com for tickets. Tina and I appeared on stage together last year during the World Science Festival, and our conversation, uh, some of it anyway, is what you heard in this podcast. My thanks goes out to all the people who organized and produced that event, and I thank them for providing us with the audio of our interview. The World Science Festival takes place every year in New York, and I really advise you to check it out. It's an amazing thing. Five days of 50 events that combine art and science. You can find more about the World Science Festival at worldsciencefestival.org. This episode of Clear and Vivid was produced by my friend and longtime producer, Graham Shedd. Graham and I have worked together for more than 20 years, including many events associated with the World Science Festival. Our associate producer is Sarah Chase. Sound engineer is Dan DeZula. Our tech guru is Allison Costin. And our publicist is Sarah Hill. My special thanks to John DeLore, Harry Nelson, and Jared O'Connell for their in-studio assistance. You could subscribe to this podcast for free at Apple Podcasts. For more details about Clear and Vivid and to sign up for my newsletter, please visit alanalda.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at Clear and Vivid. And I'm on Twitter at Alan Alda. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union. A savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey guys, you know what this playground could use? A wine country, huh? A redwood forest would be cool. Ski slopes! Wait! Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com.